We're going to start do Habakkuk, and we'll start Job. Alright, and so, little review. We talked about the main distinction, distinction between wisdom literature and the other Old Testament books we've studied. In the other books, God reveals himself directly through the prophets or through history, the Exodus event. Whereas wisdom literature, humanity seeks to discover God through human reason by reflecting on nature and creation. Um, of course, ultimately, all wisdom comes from God. So whether God reveals it or we discover it, we're discovering, what we're discovering is God or the mind of God. And for Israel, what is either revealed or discovered really is the same thing. Again, what they're after is the mind of God, which is wisdom. And wisdom is the mind of God. And the point of discovering this, the point of all this, is then to conform one's life to wisdom. And there's a reason for that. You want to conform your life to wisdom in order to live a healthy, long, prosperous, and peaceful life, which is what God wants for us. God wants us to be uh, healthy, prosperous, and live a peaceful life. So, on the revealed side of it, we call this the Deuteronomistic Theology. And this is a review. And the idea there is obedience. Obedience to God's revelation yields blessings. And those blessings, again, are health, wealth, and peace in the land. Right? And this is all gathered up in the Jewish concept of shalom. Right? From the Jewish perspective, all the benefits are here. The, the idea of the benefits in the afterlife is something that is still developing. And, again, due to it, the disobedience leads to curses. We've seen this many times. I say loss of shalom. Shalom is where everything is as it's supposed to be. Everything is in proper order. And similarly, the wisdom theology is really the same thing. Wisdom results in blessings or shalom, and folly results in curses, loss of shalom. But these blessings and curses are not so much the direct action of God. The Deuteronomistic theology kind of sees God directly giving the curses and God directly giving the blessings. In the wisdom theology, it's not quite that way. It's more seen that the the blessings and curses are the result of uh, the natural consequences of one's wisdom and foolish acts. So in other words, from the wisdom way of thinking, if you're industrious and work, you'll have food. If you're lazy and don't work, you might starve to death. You get a natural consequence. But we could say, since everything, I mean, all creation was set up by God in the first place, even these consequences ultimately come from God. Maybe indirectly, but ultimately come from God. So in a sense, you know, the buck always stops at God. Now, the dilemma, the dilemma with this nice scheme is that common experience is often the direct opposite of what I put up here. So a common experience is that the obedient and wise are often cursed 
or as Job puts it, Job puts it, the just, the perfect man is a laughing stock. And the disobedient or foolish are often or sometimes blessed. Or as Job puts it, the tents of the robbers are prosperous. And those who provoke God are secure. So dealing with this dilemma has a name, and we said it before, the name of this is theodicy. It's a, it's this. It's the study of how to deal with this question, how to answer this question. And this word theodicy comes from the Greek words for God and justice. So theo is God and odyssey is the derivation of the word justice. So if God God is all loving or just and all powerful, again, why do bad things happen to good people? In other words, And another problem for humanity is, since God is God, the question is, do we, as God's creation, even have the right to interrogate God on this matter? Right? You might say, does the pot have the right to interrogate the potter? Or as Job puts it, or as Job puts it, by jumping up here, uh, who can say to him, this is Job referring to God. What are you doing? I mean, it does seem it does seem very arrogant for human beings even to question God. Do we have a right to do that? And yet, and yet Habakkuk and Job do interrogate God. And Job seems to ask that very question. You know, what are you doing, God? Explain yourself. But if we step out of the historical event and consider that these books overall are God's revelation to us. So even, in a sense, the questions are part of God's revelation to us. Uh, Some commentators have tried to shed some light on this idea. And uh, Carol Stoudemire, uh, she wrote the uh, College Book Commentary, I think, that you have. She says, so the prophet's question to God, and in this case it's Habakkuk and Job's question to God, becomes for us the word of God. Okay? Mm-hmm. Those questions are the word of God because they were, those books are inspired by God. In some real yet mysterious way, revealing God's word in our own challenge to God. So, so, so the very act of questioning God is somehow a revelation of God to us. Or maybe you might look at it this way, that God wants and expects to be questioned. Uh, another commentator, this is uh, Fisher in this a lighthearted view of the Bible, or of the Bible says, um, God seems to prefer questions rather than platitudes in speaking to mature people. I like that. So we're supposed to be children, but we're also adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this question of God doesn't start with Job. In, in the book of Habakkuk, which was written before the Babylonian exile and before the book of Job, um, he starts he starts with, and I'm going to read Habakkuk uh, 1, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. This is how Habakkuk starts. How long, O Lord, must I cry for help, and you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, and you do not intervene? Why do you let me see inequity 
and and why do you let me see inequity? Why do you simply gaze at evil? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and discord. So he's he's being pretty uh, pretty blunt with God. That's how he starts his book. Uh, now the book of Habakkuk is a very short book. It's only only three chapters and consists of two laments, five woes, and an ending prayer of trust and joyful patience. So in the first lament, Habakkuk complains or laments that there is injustice and God is doing nothing about it. And in the book, we hear God's answer. He says, punishment for the unjust is on the way. And of course, in that context, it was the Babylonians who were going to render, <coughs> render the uh, uh, punishment for the unjust. In his second lament, uh, Habakkuk tells God that the faithless ones, and I'm sorry, the faithless ones are devouring the just one, just ones, and complains that God is silent. And again, Habakkuk, God answers, the just shall live, be patient. So and then and then God, through the, through the words of Habakkuk, declares five woes against the unjust and idolater. So they're going to get their they're going to get their just uh, unrewards, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. So in other words, the the words of the Deuteronomistic and Wisdom theology are valid. It's just a matter of time. Right. The, the obedient and the wise will get the get the rewards and the disobedient and the foolish will get their curses. It's just a matter of time. It doesn't look like it now, but it's coming. And in this book, Habakkuk accepts this answer, so he ends with a prayer expressing his trust in God who has promised to bring about justice. And he will wait in joyful patience for God to act. So the simple answer to this theodicy dilemma is that it's all just a matter of timing. Um, so there were two laments, and I'm just going to throw this up. This was the standard form of the lament. Uh, and the overall, the lament, first part of it is a plea to God, just to God lament, motivating God, confidence to God, but it's essentially a plea to God. And often you hear in the lament, a response, God says something back to the person, a response in some way, and as a result of that, there's a section of prayer. So that's the standard lament form. And you kind of just, you'll see that in Habakkuk. Alright, so plea means to praise because God will say. You can, you can count on it. God will say. Now, with, with Job... With Job, it gets a little more complicated. And in this, if you have the small, if you have the small book on Job, which you may or may not have, that's the picture from the commentary. So with Job, things get a little more complicated. So even even with it's all a matter of time solution, the problem remains because God does allow evil to exist, even if it's only for a short amount of time. So what commentators see in Job 
is not so much an attempt to explain this dilemma of of theodicy, but to examine what it means in our relationship with God. So if you look at relationships, look at it from two different angles. If you look at the God-human relationship, if you consider what's God's perspective on this relationship, and the question God might be asking is, well, why does humanity obey or seek to follow wisdom? Is it self-serving? Are they just doing it to get the blessings and it has nothing to do with the love of God? Right. Is humanity just, in a sense, using God to get what they want? Right. So that's one question from the, from the God perspective. Okay. But, and then from now looking at from the human perspective, looking at this relationship with God, uh, from the human perspective, God's actions might seem questionable. So on, I mean, these, these are some basic ingredients to, to have a good relationship. You talk about communication, you talk about trust, you talk about dependability. These are what you want in a friend. So if you look at these things from a human perspective and the, hum, the God-human relationship, you might question communication because often God seems silent. God doesn't seem to be communicating. In trust, uh, sometimes it seems that the God who is all-powerful allows evil or at worst performs evil toward his friends and so sometimes seems to be acting more like an enemy than a trusted friend. Who is it that said, you know, with, uh, is it uh, St. Catherine of Siena? said, no wonder, talking to Jesus, no wonder you don't have more friends because the way you treat your friends. Treats of Avila, yeah. Uh, and dependability. Uh, I mean, you could say God seems to be fickle, sometimes blessing his friends and sometimes cursing his friends without any apparent rhyme or reason. So, being skeptical, you could say this is not a very good basis for a good relationship from a human perspective. So, let's look at the book of Job. Uh, It begins and ends, the opening verses, opening chapters and ending verses, uh, describe an ancient folktale that at some point was, that at some point they inserted all the dialogue. So you think of Job with all that dialogue, with all that's in the middle, and the beginning and end, you can pull all that dialogue out and still have a coherent story. So there's there's a story that begins in chapters 1 and 2 and ends in 42 verses 7 to 17. Uh, and inserted in there, inserted within that, and they think there was, a, there was a tale, and then all these words were put inside. Uh, and what was put inside are uh, three dialogues, three cycles of dialogue between Job and his three friends, Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, his three friends. And then we have a speech by Ildu. And then finally, here God has to say about all this. Right? God gets God gets the last word. I like that. And God, you know, God's a good listener. Right? He listens to all this, and then He has His sight. How does He say? Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that in the second week. Well, we'll hear the words. God spoke and said. We'll read the words.
You want to hear something? Yeah. You want to say something? I'm not talking to God. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to, we're not going to get to that until the following week, though. So if we just, uh, so we're going to look at, so next week you're going to read this, but we'll call it the folk tale, plus you'll you read the first cycle of dialogue. And then this will be, this is what we'll cover in the second week. So just reading, if you just look at the folktale portion of the story, Job in this in this in these verses, Job is described three times as blameless, upright, righteous, one who fears the Lord and avoids evil. And twice you hear this description of Job from the lips of God himself. So God himself is acknowledging that Job is this, right? So from our study of wisdom so far, we could say Job Job is wisdom personified. This is a description of wisdom, one who seeks wisdom. So Job is wisdom personified, even from the even from the lips of God. So the question is why is God testing Job? What is God's motivation? And the answer to that is in this story is that God is testing Job's motivation. So he's asking the question that I asked earlier. Is Job, who's blameless, upright, fearing God and avoiding evil because of all his blessings, which is what Satan is accusing him of? Satan says, oh yeah, he's only uh, all those things because of all the blessings you've given him. So as a result of that, God, in this story, is allowing Job to be tested. And there's two tests. In the first test, Job loses his health and his honor. And his response to this situation, he says, Naked I came forth from my mother's womb, and naked shall I go back there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he say anything disrespectful of God. Second test. Okay, so the oh, I'm sorry. First, so the first test, he loses his family possession. Second test, he loses now he loses health and his honor. And his response to the second test is, when it's all done, we accept good things from God, and should we not accept evil? Through all this, Job said, nothing sinful. I think he says this to his wife. His wife says, Joe, give it up. <laughs> so he does nothing sinful. So Joe passes the test in the story, and everything is restored to him in double. So you might conclude that the Deuteronomistic and wisdom theology holds. The just are blessed, in the end he is blessed again. It's all a matter of time. He's a just man who did receive blessings. This doesn't sound like the job I have. It's full of what you're saying. No. It is. And he doesn't... Well, well, most people focuses on the... Most people focus on on all the discussion. What? He's always complaining. Yeah. See, this isn't sounding like him. 
Well, I'm giving you the folk tale, which is the beginning and end. Yeah. I mean, there's chapters, the there's <laughs> chapters from three yeah. to forty, three to forty-one that are all the dialogues where we get all the complaining mm-hmm. and yes. going right. back and oh, forth. Okay. So I'm kind of putting it. I'm, I'm giving you the simple tale, mm-hmm. but now we're going to get we're going to kind of work out the detail, put some flesh on those bones. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. So we're gonna we're going to read again. I just described the beginning and end, and you're going to read the first cycle of discussions next week. So things get more interesting, more complicated when they get into these discussions. Are we going to read the whole book or just parts, okay. uh, parts yeah. of the book? Um, next week, just parts. Is it parts? I forget. Yeah, yeah. Joe, one to fourteen, and then forty-two, seven to seventeen. Okay. How about the following week? <laughs> okay, so yeah, so you'll read all of this next week, but then the following week you're not going to read every every bit of it. Bless. So you're saying that the Deuteronomic Deuteronomistic history is validated because the just are blessed. If you just look at this story, right, right, Oh. But again, things get more interesting and more complicated when we get into these dialogues. And again, you'll read the first cycle next week. So in cycle one, in each of the cycle, each of his friends and him have a dialogue. So in cycle one, his friends, Ilfaz, Bildad, and Zophar, argue an extreme form of Deuteronomistic and wisdom theology. And, and this, is, this is called... Retribution theology. So what they're arguing for him is that disobedience, folly, and sin will result in curses, and it's immediate. There's no a matter of time. That's their argument. I can sum it up. And then they go and use that theology in reverse. So if sin and folly and disobedience leads to curses then they would conclude, if you're cursed, therefore, by definition, you're a sinner. Right? That's their basic argument. Right? Now, now, Job answers them. First, he acknowledges that he's cursed. One, one verse is, the arrows of the Almighty have pierced him. So he's, he's, got, he's receiving curses from God. But he also consistently maintains that he is innocent. Right? I have not transgressed the commands of the Holy One. So this is obvious an obvious contradiction of his friend's logic. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and this is the real dilemma in his relationship with God. God, from his friends and his point of view, seems to be treating him like a sinner, and yet he knows that he is not a sinner. And he wants an explanation from God. Right? And this dilemma will go on unresolved until God does finally intervene and I showed you the outline at the end of the cycle God gets the last word and the dilemma is resolved but we won't get to that until the following week any questions? I, I think it's great <laughs> somehow it just captures captures Joe's dilemma this is the, uh, again, if you, if you have the college commentary, the little ones, 
this is the picture that's on it, and this is the guy that wrote the commentary. In fact, that's the guy that wrote the commentary. If you have the big books, powerful commentary, he's the one that wrote the commentary. Any questions? Oh yeah, yeah. What? He talks a lot about the book of Job, the yeah. written by a Jewish rabbi. Yeah. And he said, when the freak men come, yeah. all the mistakes that a lot of us make when we yeah. go to people to try to console them, yeah. comfort them, yeah. a lot of the things they said are like not the right way to handle it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know if you can get past some of the. There's a lot of wisdom in Job. A lot of, lot of wisdom. Okay, let's say in our Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, have a great week, everybody. Thank you.